Praise the Lord, everybody. Good morning, good morning, good morning. All right. Glad to be with you today. We appreciate the opportunity. Pastor John, Pastor Chris, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to minister to God's precious sheep today. And I'll tell you what we're going to do today is we are, this is Communion Sunday. I'm sure y'all may have figured it out when, when you were coming in. But we're going to go ahead and celebrate the precious blood of the Lamb today in this house. Are you with me? Are you glad? You know you're going to save yourself. There was nothing you could ever do that could have ever saved you. You owed a debt you couldn't pay. But I'm glad to tell you that Jesus paid the debt he didn't owe. <laughs> Amen. All right. So praise the Lord. We're going to go ahead and get into some words today. Because we definitely have to have service done by 11 today. You all know that. So, so let's go ahead and dig in. Revelation chapter 13. I want you to go ahead and check this out. Especially the last part of this verse. It refers to the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And first of all, I want you to see regarding the precious blood of Jesus today is that there was a plan behind this. Come on now. There was a plan behind the shedding of the the blood of the lamb. It was in the heart of God and in the mind of God right from the very beginning. As a matter of fact, you know, it's often said uh, we have ideas. God don't have ideas. God just always had it inside of him and knew exactly what needed to be done, when it needed to be done, and how it needed to get done. God didn't have anything dawn on him. Come on now. But God knew and had planned from the foundation of the world that the lamb would be slain. Are you glad about it? First Peter chapter 1. Take a look at this, verse 18 and, uh, through 20. It says, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Once again, we see that same thing, that this is part of a plan, that God uh, had foreordained Jesus to be the lamb without blemish and without spot who would shed his precious blood. And this was foreordained from before the foundation of the world. You know, uh, the, the message translation of that reads pretty, uh, uh, in a pretty interesting way. It says, and this was no afterthought. God always knew he was going to do this for you. Hallelujah. No afterthought. This was the plan. The New Living says, God chose him as your ransom Long before the world began, this was always what the plan was. You know, uh, in Acts 2, it says that uh, Jesus was delivered by the determined purpose and the foreknowledge of God. Someone say, it was planned. As a matter of fact, the scripture says there was done uh, by the deliberate will and purpose of God. And I got to tell you, that's one thing that, that you got to realize about your redemption and how much you matter to God. Because for him to be thinking about redemption before the world was means you were thinking about you before the world was. Because me and you were the ones who need to be redeemed. So if he, if he was already thinking about redemption, that means he was thinking about the ones who needed redemption. 
Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. Someone said, God was thinking about me. You know, Titus, uh, Paul wrote to Titus and he said these words, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. See that once again, I love the theme of the plan of God, that this was a plan right from the very start. What needed to be done, how it needed to be done, who was going to get the job done, and that being Jesus, the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. First Corinthians 2, check this out. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, it's, it's interesting as you study that verse, different people have different takes on what rulers of the world mean. But I got to tell you, I am convinced that the rulers of this age or the rulers of this world, whatever translation you're reading that it's talking about, is ultimately not people, but spirits. The Bible talks about in Ephesians 6, uh, principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. As a matter of fact, if you've got rulers in the world, you, you know, you've got uh, spirits that are, uh, uh, shall we say, in, inspiring them to do things, influencing them to do certain things. So you can have rulers in the world, but actually those rulers in the world are being uh, influenced and, and uh, uh, having the strings pulled, shall we say, by some other rulers. Come on now. But I want you to know that the rulers of this age, the, 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 the wicked spirits who are influencing things here in this world, if they knew what the plan was, they would not have just walked right into the plan. You see, they, they thought that the idea of crucifying Jesus would have been an end to it. They thought that the idea of Jesus dying would, would have uh, put a, a, a halt in God's plan, would have totally thwarted and hindered God's plan from taking place. But I want you to know today, they walked right into it. Because if they knew the plan, they said they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They thought by death that they would get rid of him. But the scripture says in Hebrews that through death, he destroyed, he, Jesus, destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Are you glad about it? So here's the thing. He thought he was going to go ahead and win this gunfight. And the Lord Jesus took his very own gun and shot him with it. Come on. Through death, he destroyed him who had the power of death. He took his own weapon and put him, put, put him right out with it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So what do we see here? We see the plan of God before the foundation of the world, that this was part of God's plan. Now, what about the means of getting this done? Well, one of the things that we celebrate at Christmas time when you know the real meaning of Christmas. And one, one of the amazing truths of Scripture that, that we really get a hold of when we consider the Christmas story is something called the virgin birth. And that is so significant when it comes to the blood of the Lamb. You see, we had a problem. Someone said, what do you mean had a problem? We still have a problem, but... But understand what I mean when I say that. We had a problem. David put it like this. He said, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. 
or the new living of that says, I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. So if, if he was realizing that he, as a member of the human race, was born in sin, this necessitated the virgin birth because Jesus had to come in a way where he would not be born in the same condition that everybody else was born in. Jesus had to come in a way where he would not have the, the same problem because if he had the same problem, he going to cure our problem. So thank God that in Genesis 3.15, right from the beginning, you hear God talking about it. He said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Right from the very beginning, God's talking about the seed of a woman. And if you know anything about how things work, the seed comes from the man, not from the woman. Hmm. Things that make you say, hmm. So if the seed is being referred to here as the seed of a woman, that's telling you right off the bat that God's dropping some crumbs. Hey, God's dropping some crumbs about the way he's going to do things because it is the seed of the woman that is ultimately going to uh, conquer and uh, uh, overcome the seed of the serpent. Praise God. Isaiah prophesied it 700 years before it happened. 714, he said, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You know, you got to consider the words of the, the angel Gabriel to Mary in Luke 135, where it said, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Hallelujah. You see, this was necessary because in order for someone to come and redeem you, he couldn't redeem you if he needed redemption himself. So thank God there was a way, there was a, a path for, for God himself to come into the world and to become a man and to not be messed up with our mess so he could deliver us from our mess. Praise the Lord. You know, Hebrews said that he came, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you didn't want, but a body you have prepared for me. Think about that. Jesus realizing that a body was prepared for him. Now that draws a distinction between Jesus and every other member of the human race. Because you see, every human being that ever has been born, they had a start. Now, now here's the thing. There's no human that has an end. Humans are spirit, soul, and body and will exist forever either in the presence of God in heaven or in the fires of hell. But humans will live, will exist forever. But you see, they had a start. What's different about Jesus is Jesus showed up here, but he was already existing because the, the Bible makes that clear in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 as Micah looked ahead and saw Jesus being born in Bethlehem and he said out of Bethlehem he would come who is to be ruler over my people Israel whose going forth has been from everlasting to everlasting. Come on now. So Jesus eternally existed. And so when he came here, that's not when he had to start. He just relocated. Hallelujah. 
the Holy Son of God relocated from heaven into the, the, that, that little body being formed inside the, the, the womb of a virgin and therefore bypassed all the other self uh, that, that we get infected with. When, 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 we, when we were born, when our children are born, as sons and daughters of Adam, we get infected with the Adam infection known as sin. But Jesus never got infected with that, praise God. You see, the Bible says that out of one blood, God made every nation of men. And that one blood is Adam. Out of Adam, God's made every nation of men. So every nation is descended from Adam and therefore tainted with the same sin that he was tainted with. But I'm glad to tell you today, there are two Adams. Hey. <laughs> There's not just the first Adam that messed it all up. There's the last Adam that came to fix it. Glory to God. So the first Adam, whose blood was tainted by sin, got us in the mess. But the last Adam, that being Jesus, whose blood was untainted by sin, he got you out of the mess. And, uh, you know, there, there's a few little renderings of uh, scripture out of Romans 5 that I thought was real good. Because a lot of times we think in terms of what the first Adam did as being so big and so bad. And, and, and we look at that sometimes unconsciously in a sense that that was bigger and more powerful than what Jesus did. You don't mean to. But, but a lot of times we, we, we think of what Adam did as being so all-encompassing and so uh, having such an impact that, that we, we almost glorify the impact of it too much. The Bible does the opposite. I love this uh, one rendering of Romans 5.16. It says the effect of the gift of God was far greater than the effect of the offense of Adam. Somebody said greater. Greater. The effect of Jesus on you, the effect of the last Adam on you is greater than the effect of the first Adam on you. Think about this. This is another rendering of uh, a verse out of Romans 5 where it says, God's mercy and his gift given through the favor of the one man, Jesus Christ, have far more powerfully affected mankind. Yeah, you were affected by Adam just like everybody was. But I want you to know today that you've been far more powerfully affected by the last Adam. Glory to God. So that what he did for you, glory to God, you can have it now. You can experience it now. It can transform your life, spirit, soul, and body in any other way you might need transformation. If you need transformation in your wallet, it'll take care of that too. Come on. Because you see, the blood of the first Adam connects the human race. But the blood of the last Adam connects the new creation. Is there anybody here today who can say, yeah, I'm in the new creation category. Yeah, I, I once was a sinner. I once was going down the wrong road. And, you know, I, you know uh, what's that? Steal, cuss, and chew and run with those who do. You know, uh, yeah, you were doing all kind of stuff. Yeah. Praise the Lord. You know, some people, you know, uh, the scripture says he saved them to the uttermost. In some cases, he saved them to the guttermost. Come on now. So you know what kind of mess you were. And you know what, what you did and who you did it with and how many times you did it. And then, or sometimes you don't even remember how many times you did it. I mean, you were just a mess going somewhere to happen. But thank God when he got a hold of you and saved you, you got transformed. 
Now, you, you, you're not, you didn't get perfect overnight. We know that. But, oh, my goodness, what a change took place. Hallelujah. What a change took place because of this transformation. Because you are now no longer just a son of the first Adam. But, no, no. You know, people talk about how you identify these days. Well, I got to tell you, I identify a whole lot more with the last Adam than I do the first Adam. You know, I identify with the first Adam in the sense that I've got my body, you know, and, you know, I've got my, my good-looking hair, my good-looking eyes and stuff, you know. So, I mean, you know, I've got a body because I'm related to the first Adam. But i got to tell you, I glory a whole lot more and brag a whole lot more about my association with the last Adam because that's the thing that saved me. That's the thing that brought me up out of the pit. Glory to God. Out of darkness into light. Out of death into life. Is anybody happy about that today? Woo! Well, I got to tell you, we see this. We see that there was a plan regarding the Lamb of God shedding his blood. We see that there was the means whereby God did it. But now let's talk about the trail. I don't mean to be gory today, but we're going to follow a trail of blood. So someone go ahead and put your detective hat on here today. We're going to follow a trail of the blood from Genesis to Revelation. Now, I'm not going to look at every verse, so don't worry about that. But I want to go ahead and kind of give you an overview and give you some highlights here so you can follow with me the trail of the blood through the scripture. So we're going to skip over Revelation 3 and go right to Genesis 3.21. What did God do right after Adam and Eve fell? It said, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. What did that mean? God had to kill some animals to make them something to wear. There was shedding of blood right there in the Garden of Eden, right from the very start. You know, over in Genesis 4, you see Abel coming and offering a firstborn of the flock. And the Lord had respect for Abel's offering. So more shedding of blood. You see Noah, after the ark landed, coming, and he's bringing an offering before the Lord. More shedding of blood. And interesting, let's talk about Abraham for a minute. You know, Abraham met this uh, this man who is called the priest of, of, uh, of uh, the, the priest of God, the Most High, the King of Salem, otherwise known as Jerusalem. You ever heard of that place? Hey, and and this man comes to Abraham, and what's he bringing? He's bringing bread and wine, the very very same things that are representative of the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see it right there in Genesis. You see God making a covenant with Abraham. And what's Abraham instructed to do? To, to cut animals, shed the blood of animals. And he laid out the pieces and God himself walked through those pieces. They're shedding of blood all the way through. You know what? When God told Abraham to take his beloved son Isaac and go up and offer him on the mountaintop. Think about this for a minute. Genesis 22, starting with verse 7. So Isaac, looking at dad, said, oh boy, what's going on here? He said, uh, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Interesting thing, the King James version of that actually says this, God will provide himself the lamb. That means God himself was the lamb. Are you glad about it? 
Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was such a significant moment because on the basis that Abraham was willing to give his own son, God said, all right, if you're willing, I'm willing too. <laughs> if you're willing to go ahead and do it, I'm willing to do it too. And, and, and it's interesting because they called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, which means in the mountain of the Lord it shall be seen. Or in other words, what's the it there? Well, in the mountain of the Lord, provision shall be seen. In the mountain of the Lord, that sacrifice needed shall be seen. But there's also some renderings of that that actually say, in the mountain will the Lord be seen. And you know what? It's interesting that Abraham had to see something that day that that was so significant. Because, you know, Jesus said in John chapter 8 that Abraham saw his day saw Jesus day and when he saw it he was glad and I think there's probably no likely place no more likely place than for Abraham to have seen the day of Jesus than right there on that mountaintop hallelujah when he looked ahead and saw in time that on the basis of his willingness to give his only son that his covenant partner would not only just be willing to do it but he'd actually go through and actually do it And we are the beneficiaries of that, praise God. And you know what else is interesting is it happened in the very same location where Jesus would be eventually crucified. Right in the same location. Woo! Someone say, God knows how to connect the dots, praise the Lord. Let's keep on following the blood trail. You get to the book of Exodus and you find out about God instituting something called the Passover. He said, every man shall take for himself a lamb. Your lamb should be without blemish. And and pour that blood into a basin. And you take that blood and put it on the doorpost and, and on the lintel of the houses where you're eating. You see, God uh, commanding Moses and Moses taking the blood and sprinkling it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord made with you. So, I mean, all you, you keep on going through the Bible. You can't help but follow a trail of blood. And you see the effect of the blood and you see the, 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 the promise of what was to come. Not when you're just being temporarily covered over by the blood of the lamb, but when sin would be permanently dealt with by the blood of the real lamb, the lamb of God. You see words like David saying in the Psalms, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. You see the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 1 and verse 18, where he says, come let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Once again, talking about the day when the sin problem would ultimately be dealt with and when sin would no longer be an issue. Isaiah talked about Jesus also as being a lamb led to the slaughter. And then you you go on, uh, you, you can look at the prophet Zechariah and some things he said. He talked about Jesus riding into Jerusalem. Uh, a prophecy so clear about the day that Jesus would ride his donkey into Jerusalem. And it said about him in that same passage that he would speak peace to nations, his dominion would be from sea to sea, and that because of the blood of your covenant, that I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Glory to God. Because of the blood of his covenant, prisoners have been set free. I was one of those. How about you? Come on. 
Let's look at something else. Zechariah said, chapter 13, verse 1. We're following the trail of blood. Keep on following now. In that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for uncleanness. There is a fountain. Now, some of y'all have been in church for a while. Remember an old song. There's a fountain filled with blood that's drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners that are plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. That's the fountain. There is a fountain for sin and uncleanness. It's the blood of the Lamb. Now, check this out. I I don't know about you. This just makes me uh, amazed at how well God has connected dots and, and the way he communicates even through a picture of something. Look at John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist uttered these words. It said the next day John saw Jesus coming. And, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now this is a place where Jesus is there. And after all these years of that temporary lamb that covered up temporary the sin of the people. And then it had to be done the next year over again. And then it had to be done the next year over again. But now John identifies this one as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, where did that happen? That happened at the River Jordan. Which is interesting because there was something else that happened at the River Jordan that gives you a picture of the significance of what the Lamb of God did. You want to follow me for a minute here? It was the River Jordan where the children of Israel crossed over. I mean, the the, the priest stepped into the water The waters parted, and the Israelites went through to the promised land. What does that have to do with the other? Well, I want you to notice what happened when they crossed over. It's one verse. It's Joshua 3.16. We're reading out of the New Living. And it says, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. What am I telling you today? I'm telling you that the Lamb of God stood in the very place where this symbolism was beautifully uh, uh, illustrated and demonstrated by God years before, where when the children of Israel were about to pass, the water stood up in a heap right over by this town called Adam, and all the water from there on down got drained into the Dead Sea. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like the Lamb of God dealt with the problem all the way back to Adam, and as Micah the prophet said, all your sins were cast into the sea. Hallelujah. You see the beautiful picture of what God put there, a little bit of John 3.16 and Joshua 3.16. That God himself would go ahead and put this picture there right in the same spot where, where the, the, the Lamb of God would be identified. That it would be a picture of what he would do. That he would deal with everything all the way back to Adam. And that all that sin be cast into the depths of the sea. Glory to God. You know, every time you see mention of the Lamb, you can't help but think of the blood. Come on now. I mean, you, you got... Paul talking about Christ, our Passover. You got Peter talking about Christ being a lamb without blemish and without spot. And then talk about the, the use of the word lamb and the inference of the lamb having to do with the shedding of blood. 
You just go through the book of Revelation and see how many times Jesus is referred to as the Lamb. The Lamb. I mean, over and over and over again. I've got more things than I can hit here. I mean, you've got, uh, uh, go to Revelation 7, 9, and 10 real quick. It says, uh, just to give you a picture of what heaven's like. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And there is more than we've got time to go into there. But i got to tell you, I mean, all the way down to the last few chapters, you still see it. When there's a big supper in heaven, what's it called? It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. All the way through the book of Revelation, that word lamb used all over and over and over again. Why? Because it's the continuation of the blood trail. Because the blood trail never ends. Because even though the blood has been shed and the, the, the sacrifice has been accomplished, even going into eternity, there will never stop being songs sung in heaven about the blood. People going ahead and bowing down before the one they recognize as the lamb. And if they're recognizing him as the lamb, they're recognizing the shedding of his blood. So without going into all of it, you see that there is a most definite trail all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. Well, let's talk about the access you've got through the blood. And uh, if we can go ahead and skip over several verses, go to Ephesians 2 and verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, woo, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Is somebody more happy about that than I am? Or are you just trying to be as happy about it as I am? I am very, very happy about that. Brought near. You were, once were far off, but now you've been brought near. The Bible also talks about that he made peace through the blood of his cross and that us who were once alienated, yet now he's reconciled so he can present us holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Access granted. You ever see those movies like a, like a um, Mission Impossible or something like that? And, and you, you know, you, you got all this electronic stuff going on and, and somebody is trying to be as stealth as they can be and, and trying to punch in the right code or, 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 you know, get the right access. And, you know, they say, I think it's this. And they punch it in. Access denied. And punch this one in. Access denied. But then they get a hold of the right one and punch it in. And it says access granted. Well, I want you to know you don't have to wonder and guess about how to get access to God. You don't have to hope you're swiping the right card or punching in the right code. You can know this, that if you've got the blood of the Lamb and if you're going to Him on the basis of that blood, access granted. You can't get to Him any other way. There's no other way to access Him. But if you go by the blood, it's not access denied, it's access granted. Hallelujah. And I want to spend the rest of our time here today talking about the application of the blood. You talk, we talked about the plan that God had regarding the blood, the means whereby perfect blood would get into the earth that could actually save us from demons. We talked about the trail of the blood and how you look at the Bible, you can't help but find blood all the way through. 
the access that is given to us by the blood of the Lamb. But how about the application? The applying of the blood. Let me mess with you for a minute. In a recent time, uh, especially the last 20 years and the, uh, the breaking out of so much technology and smartphones and, and all the things that your phone could do that could, you never would have thought about it, you know, even going back 25 years ago, it seemed to be a dream. But uh, there's been a popularized term. Some people almost use it jokingly because there's just so many things out there. And they say, there's an app for that. How many of you have ever, ever heard that before? I mean, something crazy that you wouldn't even think of. And somebody said, hey, there's an app for that. Well, I want you to know, we're talking about application here. We're talking about applying the blood. And I want you to know today, you got sin in your life. I'm here to tell you, there's an app for that. You got sickness in your life. There's an app for that. You've got depression in your life. There's an app for that. You've got crazy kids. There's an app for that. Glory to God forever. Woo! Somebody get a hold of that. I mean, we've always thought of this in one way and in one set of terms, but I tell you, when it comes to the blood, there's an app for that. And if you use your app and you apply the blood to whatever's going on in your life, let me dare say this. Not just the forgiveness of something you did, but even the impact that was left on you by someone who sinned against you. Oh, my goodness. Because what the Bible says is that the blood will purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And I believe God's smart enough not just to purge you from the dead works you got involved with yourself, but even to purge you from the evil impact of dead works that were done against you. Glory to God. There's an app for that, somebody. Whatever it is you need from God, there's an app for that. You apply the blood. But how do you apply the blood? Well, let's start here with Psalm 107 and verse 2. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so. Come on now. So you're applying the blood with your words. You're applying the blood with what you say. I remember when my daughter was little and, and, and uh, you know, uh, just that stage where, where you know, you, you know she knows words, but, but she's not always using them. And, and sometimes instead of asking, she still may want to point or grunt or do something like that. And I remember mama saying, use your words. Use your words. I mean, I don't want to hear a grunt or a point. You know how to say it, say it. And I believe that God's saying to the church today, use your words. Woo! Use your words. The old Pentecostals used the term pleading the blood. But the, uh, pleading the blood, that's when you are speaking out. And making a case regarding what the Bible says that the blood does for you. When you're speaking out and making a case regarding what the Bible says that the blood does for you. With your words, you're staking a claim on that provision. Whoa, glory to God. This will fire you up. Check this out. This is Isaiah 43. Look at what God said. 
Verse 25, he said, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Then he said, put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. Hallelujah. Now, I tell you, if the blood can cause God to forget what you did, then I believe that, that, that you, you should also let it help you forget what you did. I mean, here's the Lord having long forgot what you did, and you're still beating yourself about something that happened uh, months, years, decades. Come on now. Someone sing the Disney song, let it go, let it go. If God let it go, you let it go. As, as a matter of fact, God says here, he said, I'm the one who's blotting out your transgressions and not remembering your sins. And then he tells you to state your case. State your case. Not so that you're convicted, but so that you're acquitted. He said it, look right there. State your case that you may be acquitted. You see, see the, the devil likes to go ahead and, and talk to you about stuff that just doesn't fit you anymore. He, he wants to talk to you about some of that old BC stuff. Well, that don't fit you anymore. Because that's not who you are. That's who you used to be, but it's not who you are. God, you know, the, the enemy might want to go ahead and hound you about, about some things you've done recently, even things you've done as a believer. But you look at who you are in Christ, and you say, you, you know what, when I did that, I wasn't acting like who I really am. I was not acting like who I really am, because who I really am doesn't do that. Who I really am don't go there. And so you see, the enemy's coming against you with things that don't fit you. Don't fit you because that's not who you are. Don't fit you because you're not that old creature anymore. You're a new creature. And so if I can quote, if I can dare quote Johnny Cochran in church, I'm going to say, if it don't fit, you must have quit. Come on. Those things that don't fit you because that's not who you are. That might have been who you used to be, but it's not who you are now. So it don't fit, you must have quit. Come on. Revelation 12. Woo, glory. This will fire you up. Verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation strengthened the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him, who? The accuser of the brethren, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Now think about this. You got the picture of the accuser standing before God, accusing you day and night. And it said that they overcame the accuser by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. I'm glad to tell you this. Not only do you have an accuser, but you also have an advocate. Because 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 says that uh, if any, uh, uh, these things I write to you that you do not sin. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
And here's the thing. What what is your advocate going to do? He's going to tell you what to say on the witness stand. He will coach you. I mean, in the natural that's so, he'll say, don't say this, say this. Why is that necessary? Because he wants to win the case. Well, I want you to know your advocate is coaching you this very day, whether you realize it or not, to help you know what to say and what not to say. So the word of your testimony, the word of your witness, uh, it could also be said. It's the same word used when, when Jesus was going on trial and they were bringing witnesses to, to witness against him. So, so it, this is really absolutely a legal term. By the word of their witness. Think about this. Uh, uh, another uh, sense of that is the, the word of their record. Now, that, is, that same Greek word is actually uh, called record in several places where John said, this is the record of what Jesus said, or the, the, this record was recorded so that you would know that Jesus is the Son of God. So it, it's translated into several different English words. Well, let's mess with that word record for, for a minute. The, the testimony of your record. Well, when you think about your record from a natural standpoint, you say, well, uh, you know, um, yeah, well, we did good except that one year, and there's that DUI on there for that one year. Or, you know, I did good from, from age 20 on, but when I was uh, in my late teens, I was crazy. And so there's still stuff on the record from back then. But I want you to know that in Christ and because of the blood, what I'm talking about is you having your record expunged. So that as far as the blood is concerned, that the blood is so absolutely powerful, so absolutely thorough, that there is not even a trace, not even a record left that you did the thing even though you did it. Glory to God, somebody. So to think about this, that, that your record uh, can be expunged, that, that Jesus, the, the head of the church, your advocate who's coaching you as you're on the witness stand, about to give witness, about to give testimony, he said, don't say this, say this. Well, what do you say? Well, I'm going to give you a hint right here, glory to God. We're going to go ahead and jump around here. I came with, I already knew I came with more stuff than I could hit you with. So I said, Lord, you just go ahead and lead as we go. This is Hebrews 12. Go to Hebrews 12. Now, this is talking about Jesus. That it says, we have come. That, so that's kind of the, 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 the motion of the word that's going on in this next, uh, the previous verses. So it says, we have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. Now we'll just stop right there. So it's talking about, go to verse 24. And it says that the blood of sprinkling, talking about the blood of Jesus, speaks better things than that of Abel. You see, when, when Abel was killed by his brother Cain, God said that the voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. But here it's talking about the voice of Jesus' blood and what Jesus' blood is saying. And I want you to realize this, that Jesus' blood is saying a whole lot better things than what Abel's blood was saying. 
Abel's blood may have been calling out for vengeance, but Jesus' blood is calling out for mercy. Jesus' blood has already been placed on the mercy seat of heaven. And therefore, what would happen there is God has been appeased. God has been, uh, uh, let's see, placated. That's the word I was looking for. Where the wrath of God does not have to fall on you because the wrath of God fell on Jesus instead. He shed his blood, put his blood on that mercy seat in heaven. And what does that mean for you? Woo! Good news, good news. So, why am I saying this? Is that... Uh, The scripture says here that the blood of Jesus speaks. And I want you to know that as he, your advocate, is coaching you, he's telling you this. Don't say anything that the blood doesn't say. Say the same things about yourself that the blood says. Don't disagree with the blood. Don't be shy about it. Be bold about it. Don't hold back. The word says what it says. The blood is speaking. The blood says you're forgiven. The blood says you're healed. You know that verse about Jesus stripes? That's a blood verse. Those, I I hate to be graphic, but those were bloody stripes. Those were stripes that pulled blood out of his back. And by that blood, you're healed. That blood saves you. That blood forgives you. That blood redeems you. That blood heals you. That blood delivers you. There's an app for that, somebody. And your goal, as one who's being coached by your advocate, don't say anything that doesn't agree with what the blood is saying. You only say what the blood says. You only say what the word says. You only say what the advocate is telling you to say. Glory to God. And uh, then you will never be found disagreeing with God. You'll only be found agreeing with God, saying the same thing. And that word confession... It's a Greek word, homologia, and that's what it means, saying the same thing as. So when you're making a confession, the idea is this, that you say the same thing as what he says. Glory to God. Glory to God. Are you glad for the blood today? Are you glad there's an app for that? Whatever it is, the blood of Jesus, there's not any situation in your life that the blood can't solve. Praise God. Let's pray today. Father, we honor you. We give glory to the Lamb of God. We're so eternally grateful for the blood that was shed on our behalf. Hallelujah. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much. For everybody that's here in the room, those of you that are watching my live stream today, If you know that you have never been born again, you have never become a new creation like we talked about earlier. You you, you know that you're a member of the human race, but you want to become part of of Jesus' race, the new creation. If you know that you're lost, you don't know for sure whether you're going to heaven or not, you can know today. And he paid a very dear price to make it happen. He shed his own blood to make this available to you. Don't turn down the gift of a lifetime, the opportunity of a lifetime. So today, if you're here in the room and you know, that's, that's me, I, I, I need to know Jesus. I need to receive this wonderful gift of life that he's provided for me. If that's you, raise your hand right where you're at. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If that's you, 
Thank you, Lord. Well, we're going to go ahead and pray today for anybody in the room that, that, that maybe thought about raising your hand but didn't. This is for you. For those of you watching my live stream, if you're making this decision for the first time, this is for you as well. And I got to tell you, this blood that was shed, it is absolutely thorough. It, it, it can go ahead and do the deepest uh, deep cleaning. Look, let me share this with you real quick. I, I, I once was in the car wash and I, I, I saw that there were three levels. You could go ahead and have a car wash level one or you could have a, a, a level two car wash and a wax. But then there was level three and that one was called the works. I want you to know that the works is available to you today, that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is available not just to surface clean you, but to deep clean you, to get down into the crevices of your life, the things that hurt that you don't even hardly realize they still hurt. But the blood of Jesus is available to heal you of all those things. So let's pray today. Father, in Jesus' name, I believe that Jesus died for me. He shed his blood for me. And he was raised from the dead on the third day. And he's alive forevermore. I believe this. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I repent of my sins. I do a U-turn. I'm not going the way I used to go. I'm following Jesus now. And Lord, by your grace, I will serve you and you only all the days of my life. Thank you for your gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I tell you, we're going to go ahead and uh, partake of communion today. If you did not receive uh, your communion elements when you came in, uh, just go ahead and raise your hand, and uh, we'll see if uh, one of our ushers can serve you. We got some hands here, so guys, if you